Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. I like the dramatic pause there. I know. I was trying for a bit of and a bit of acting, acted ability. Your God, God ahead. given <laughs> acting ability. I don't know if it really came suspense across. I don't know why. It's, it's, it's nothing special about 50 years. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Just suspense in case they didn't know which podcast. That's right. And just in mean, case. And what do you mean it's not special? All our episodes are special. Oh, I'm not saying it's much. not special because we're talking. Because obviously oh, that's dude, important. special, isn't it? That's just the, the number 58. Anyway, uh, my name is David. And uh, with me are the NCP crew, as always. Richo. Yes, I am. Here. <laughs> Luke, I am also here, and I bid you welcome. Hey, Crystal. And I am here also. <laughs> if you didn't get me. that, listeners, we are here for you. That's right. For this is it's for you. Uh, for any of our new listeners, uh, we're an Australian fortnightly Australian podcast that uh, talks about uh, all things nerd culture, films, books, comics. And many things we can think of at the time. I usually try and throw in a WoW reference every now and again. <laughs> Not that these guys then, then we all t- time t- hug time to the ground and gag him. <laughs> exactly right. For this episode, we have a dust jacket on the Anubis Gates by Tim Powers. And then a Waiting for Trade, which will feature the reviews of Killer Omnibus Volume 1, Witch Doctor Volume 2, Star Trek Death Before Dishonor, and The Mighty Titan Issue 1. So up first, Dust Jacket, the Anubis Gates. So the Anubis Gates is a book published in 1983 by Tim Powers. This was actually chosen by Dave. What's interesting about the Anubis Gates is that it actually appears on the sci-fi list's Top 200 books, which, as our long-time listeners will know, we often refer to, uh, came in at number 127. Uh, just to put that in perspective, Battlefield Earth came in at number 64. But anyway. <laughs> but, that's always, that's always our, like our benchmark. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where, where, where was it in comparison to Battlefield Earth? <laughs> Hilarious. But um, what's also interesting is the Anubis Gates also appears on the top... 200 fantasy list list as well so it's actually cross genre and we'll talk a little bit about that later on where was it on the fantasy list certainly higher than 127 yeah. <laughs> and battlefield earth wasn't on the fantasy list so therefore there's no comparison really but first of all i'll uh hand the captain dust jacket tights over to dave and he can fill you in a little bit about the book itself cool so as uh, rich said this book is like over 20 years old and uh 30 years old. Well, I said over 20. <laughs> 30 years over 20. That's You're... true. I, I, I did the math. <laughs> um, and yeah, it is, it is probably his most famous, his famous work, followed closely, I guess, by On Stranger Tides, which was uh, used as the basis for the latest Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I was first introduced to this book when um, a wonderful young man named Luke... Uh, bought it for me for my birthday. Um, I've since had to rebuy it because my original copy's gone missing. I think he stole it back again. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he did. After he gave it to you as a present, he gave it to me as a present as well. So maybe that's what he does. That's how Luke works. And then I, you know, and then I kept it for myself. I mean. <laughs> um, so it's a bit of a tradition that Luke buys me a, um, a, a science fictional fantasy book that I don't have for, uh, for my birthday every year. It's uh, very, very cool. Um, I absolutely fell in love with this book. Uh, it con- It combines my three favourite story themes, which are time travel, 
alternate history and mythology. So I was almost predetermined to like it. Um, now the story deals with, so it combines those three things uh, by having our uh, protagonist Doyle, who is a uh, professor of poetry, and he's obsessed by this by this poet uh, called Ashbliss, and he's still he's sort of trying to, he's doing a biography of his life and stuff like that. Uh, and he gets offered, but because he's a professor of poetry, he also knows about other poets as well, and he gets offered the chance uh, to actually go back in time and see one of these famous poets, uh, I think his name is Coldridge. Coldridge. Coldridge, 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 yeah. Coldridge. He was actually a real poet. Yeah. Uh, Ashbliss is as completely make up, made up, but uh, Coldridge, Coldridge is, is real. Uh, is go back in time and actually see this guy orate, which is uh, pretty exciting stuff. Um, by this eccentric uh, billionaire guy who's kind of like a an insane Steve Jobs. <laughs> and this going back in time is accomplished by uh, these portals that appear simultaneously at two time points. Um, and they've been able to now track those where those time points are going to appear. You don't get to go wherever you want. You need to go to those specific time points and then come back to the same time that you left. And the analogy is, is used as like a frozen river that, that you can sort of see what's happening underneath the ice and stuff. It's very, very cool. Um, so they do so they do go back and Doyle gets uh, left behind because he gets kidnapped um, and the adventures begin from there. So I don't, I don't want to delve too much into this because the plot is really quite dense. It involves quite yeah. a lot of different different plot points thrown together mm. and it would take me the rest of the episode to basically to, to explain everything that happens and I don't really want to but the, these time points that one of the fascinating fascinating things about these time these time holes um, they come about because of magic which is pretty awesome so so it's science magic that sort of stuff all thrown together as well as a ye olde uh, London which is pretty cool mm. but I just want to read I just want to read the blurb on the back of this on the back of the book because it basically it says it all really it, it explains everything only the dazzling imagination of Tim Powers could have assembled such an insane cast of characters. An ancient Egyptian sorcerer, a modern millionaire, a body-switching werewolf, which is awesome. <laughs> the body-switching werewolf is very oh, no. cool. He's actually really a werewolf when you think about it. He's actually more of a were-jackal, but we'll, mm. you know, you'll yeah. get to that when you read the book. Uh, a hideously deformed clown, which, interestingly enough, is uh, one of the influences for Pennywise from from it. That was interesting when I was doing my research. Um, A young woman disguised as a boy, good old Jackie, uh, a brainwashed Lord Byron, (laughs) and uh, and finally our hero, Professor Brendan Doyle. As for what happens next, only time will tell. That pretty much sums up the plot better than I could have ever done it. (laughs) Um, As much as I love this book, and I really, really do, it's one of my favourite books ever, um, it's not perfect. Uh, There are a couple of characters and plot threads uh, that could easily have been cut out. Um, without detriment to the story, yeah. um, it's not bad that they're there. But if we were doing like a film adaptation, I can think of you know quite a few things that I would have just, <laughs> just cut right out, yeah. chopped out, just to sort of streamline a little bit more. Yeah. This, this book is so dense with ideas that it kind of makes sense that some of them aren't quite as good as the others. Um, I, and even after multiple readings, uh, I still don't know why the hell Ra's boat appears. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still can't figure it out. I've read this book like five times, and it just just. <laughs> for no reason, and uh, you know, says well, it's just bizarre. It's, I can't figure it out. I don't want to ruin it for you, but <laughs> well, I, I would say. I mean, the the initial plan that uh, the villains of the piece have is to open a gateway Which, to the land of the dead. Yeah, but there's nothing and, before that sequence that indicates that they've opened a gateway to the land of the dead. Yeah, okay. It just suddenly appears. <laughs> anyway, it I like, like the awesomeness <laughs> of Ra appearing myself. Oh, I think it's awesome. The sequence <laughs> on the boat is magnificent with APEP and all that sort of stuff. It's great. But and it would have been you know very cool cinematography uh, you know filmed and mm. stuff, but it still doesn't make any sense. Let's face it. 
I mean, these on some of these, uh, the the denseness of it is uh, is also a part of its strength. I mean, it's just there's just so much to absorb, um, and it's a classic page turner. It yeah. is just amazing. Look, I really enjoyed this book. There is one thing I do want to point out that I consider something of a negative. Doyle is gonna be the greatest time traveller in history for his ability to just show up in any time period and just instantly adapt. Like, he goes through no culture shock. He goes through nothing. It's like, oh, I'm in this time. All right, what am I going to do now? I mean, he really, <laughs> and he actually, they're, they're, he jolts through to other time periods as well. And he's just like, well, I'm in this time period. Look at me. Now here I go. Well, I mean, not only jumping through time periods, but... Can I say bodies? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to point out. I'm with you. I mean, the time periods I can let go because he's a he's a he's a historian. Ah, but no, see, he's the body swap in one. But he's not he's not actually an historian. He's a well, he's an historian, but of of poets, none of the actual time period and everything about the time period. Literature professor. Yeah. But see, the um the opposite to what you're talking about there, there is there is a writer who's actually quite well known, uh, quite well known, a Hugo Award winning. Multiple Hugo Award-winning author, yes, who um quite likes to talk about you know characters going back in time and dealing with the culture shock. Um, and I'm referring to Connie Willis with things like um, the Doomsday Book and Blackout. The problem with Connie Willis is that that's all that Connie Willis talks yeah. about the culture well, shock. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, but the a nice sort of balance between the two. I'm just I'm just amazed at how much um, Doyle adapts and the things he goes through. I mean, he gets his ear blown off, he gets stabbed, he gets shot. I mean, all these things that he goes through. He's just like. No, you know, I can take it all. I love how the first time he gets injured, he says, this is not good. The the medicine in this area is terrible. I'm going to be dead within a week. And then he gets multiple times, he gets shot, stabbed, whatever, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. Maybe after seeing uh, your girlfriend come off a motorbike and her brain split open, you're kind of immune to everything Uh, else. Maybe. I mean, once he he gets into his new body, which I don't want to give too much away about there, but... That dude must... I don't know how you, how you guys are picturing him, but I sort of picture him looking like sort of the body of Arnie. <laughs> I don't think so. I, because of the whole... Because of the damage he takes. Because of the whole Viking thing, I kind of yeah. pictured him looking like uh, like Chris Hemsworth in... Uh, oh, okay, you know, okay, I'll go with that. Big, I kind of pictured bearded. him as a blonde Brian Blessed. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ash Bless is actually kind of... has an interesting little backstory outside of this book. Yeah. Um, he was actually created by Tim Powers and another writer, uh, James uh, Blaylock, when they were in college. They were just and they they basically they were submitting poetry and using his name yeah. as um, you know as a pseudonym for their work. Yeah. And then obviously later on, then they you know they both became writers and. Um, uh, both Powers and Blaylock were writing books with Ashbless in them at the same time. Oh, which is cool. And completely independent of one another. Their editor was the one that actually got them together and said, let's, uh, you know, let's actually work out some details here so that the character appears the same, you know, across both books. So, uh, like, we, I mean, like I said at the start, you bought this for me. What made you think of buying this one? Because I thought it was a good book. Um, oh. I read this when I was 18 um, on the recommendation of my stepfather. Uh, I like Doyle as a character, and, you know, it's part of the, um, the superhero <laughs> qualities that he has. But before, he becomes, before he becomes the Viking, I picture Doyle looking like you. <laughs> I, see, because he was called Brendan, I always pictured Brendan Fraser, and I couldn't shake that image out of my head. Uh, um, Brendan Fraser's too heroic looking. Yeah. He's anyway, going to be older, uh, balding, and a <laughs> uh, little bit out of shape. Um, Not that you'd know it from uh, what he does. Maybe more like Brendan Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a you know political commentary there from Crystal for our uh, non-antipodian uh, uh, listeners. Australian politics, eh? We're, we're knee deep in it at the moment. Yeah, so, God's yeah. sake. Anyway, um, and you know, first of all, uh, Doyle's character, um, I think he's quite good in the journey that he goes through, um, and the changes that occur to him were I actually was thought was um, quite well done. Mm. Um, again, without giving things uh, that without giving things away, um, you learn just who. You did learn just who Doyle is, hmm. um, and I was really intrigued by that. I thought it was such a fascinating transformation. The other thing I loved was, in spite of the fact that it was 1810, no, no uh, version of prehistory that I was familiar with at all. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it's got the prim and proper propriety of you know uh, pre-Victorian, post-Georgian values and um, and the like, uh, mixed with uh, Romani magic, Egyptian gods, hmm. uh, wandering gypsies. And it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, this the world building that he that he does is uh, quite immense. Yeah. Um, but it's re- but more than that, it's really really intriguing and involving. Like I want to know how the time travel works with um, the Egyptian magic and how does Doyle fit in? And the characters he creates, the cast is wonderful. Yeah. There's a lot of color. They're all varied. I never felt that I was reading the same character. And each one, it felt like they had their own story. Yeah. And evil clown is yeah. evil. And evil clown is <laughs> I'm evil. Still, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like, like I said, I, just, I love those those three different themes. And, I mean, the, I was hooked right from the opening. So, mm. I mean, the, the, the opening sequence where they, they try to summon Anubis. Mm. And, you know, I'm like, don't do it, you crazy bastards. That opening <laughs> sequence nearly put me completely off. Sorry? That opening sequence nearly put me completely off. Really? Was that? I found it a real slog to get through that. Really? Yeah. Quick question, then. Fantasy or science fiction? Both. Both. Yeah, it's definitely both. Fa- uh, t- science fiction for the time travel aspect, and there's but, a, there's but the, the time travel is done by magic. Though, the time travel so doesn't that just no, make I don't, it pure I don't, I don't mean the device that they use to go back, because that is magic, and I'm not going to dispute that. But mm. the idea of going back in time itself, plus also the paradoxical nature of um, what Doyle becomes. True, there, but that, couldn't you say that that's all just fantasy? I think it's definitely stronger fantasy than it is science fiction. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's fantasy, not science that. fiction over fantasy. I'd go maybe seventy thirty. The um, there is a the science fiction element is there mm. the, because it does because magic is the um the device that propels them back, and for the most part they are actually fighting against uh, Egyptian magic, um, using their own version of magic. Um, yeah, it's not. Yeah, the the fantasy element mm. is, is a lot stronger. I will go. I'll go into that. So yeah, I don't it has, think... also has an interesting sort of steampunky element to but it. See that, it. But see, that's always that's all. It's it's sort of lumped in as one of the great early steampunk things. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot of people who say, "Well, it's actually not steampunk yeah. because." And I would argue it that yeah, it's not have, really steampunky. But it doesn't have steam. It's not steampunk in that it doesn't have the usual trappings that that have become associated with steampunk. You know, there's no uh, steam-powered um, airships. Mm-hmm. Um, there okay. are no. Well, there's really there's really no science fiction technology at all to it. You know, I mean, it is quite literally just magic in 1810. But you bring electrolysis back to 1810. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I just, I I don't see it as a steampunk. And to be honest with you, I don't really see it really as a science fiction novel either. Well, there you go. I don't don't think time travel is just intrinsically a science fiction trait if you're using magic to travel back in time. It's a fair call. I'm not going to argue with that. It's a fair argument, I'm like. Having said that, I do absolutely love the time paradox element of this story and the multiple time paradoxes. Like, it's not just... There's one, obviously, overriding one, which we won't spoil, but there are so many little uh, time paradoxes and moments and everything just so 
connects together, but you don't realise it until you've sort of reached the end of the book and and you've seen how all of this time travelling all connects to everything else. So I sort of seem to get the message that uh, predetermined... Yeah, immutable. Um, because uh, as the events sort of happened to the main character, he wasn't aware of what was going to happen, but you get the message throughout the book that these events have happened. Yeah. Except yeah. for the end. Except for the end. Where that... Cause that only because cause after that, 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 that happened, okay, but up, up, until the, up until the end, there comes that point where our main character actually goes, hang on, recorded history, as far as I'm concerned, has stopped, so what happens to me now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it is a great ending. Yeah. yeah. Crystal, did you enjoy the book? Um, well... I found it difficult because, for two reasons. Uh, one, I was pushed against time, so I was reading it against the clock. I actually finished it last night just before I went to bed. Hmm. So she, she was sitting there reading it while I was watching Brave. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know where. So, I think of the two choices, I think I know where I'd stand. Oh, Brave is fine. So um, I probably missed a lot of the subtleties because I was just sort of skimming to try and get it finished. But uh, I, I was disappointed at the start because after reading that first Egyptian bit and then it started getting into where Doyle comes into it and they were were talking about Coleridge and and he was a professor and I thought it sounded quite Adams-ish I thought oh this sounds pretty cool but then it didn't go off on an Adams-ish tangent and I sort of got bogged down at it a bit and I I really didn't find Doyle a very engaging character he just sort of uh, he seemed a bit whiny at the start and then um just went along with the flow. He didn't, for me, he didn't really grow as a character. He just sort of went along with the things that happened to him and it sort of, I guess he kind of grew as things happened to him. He became stronger and more confident, but it was all through happenstance and nothing, nothing he, he didn't sort of explore any of himself. He does seem to reel from catastrophe to catastrophe. Yeah, and that's the other thing that um, bothered me. It was the you just sort of finish one catastrophe and roll into another and there's this whole passage, there's pages and pages of description of action and what happened next and like he he, he falls over, he gets up, he walks, it's like it's just get to the point. Hmm. <laughs> but, but I think a lot of that was as because I was reading against the clock. I was like, right, it's <laughs> happening. Okay, what what happens at the end of this bit? Yeah, so I had the bit? actual opposite reaction to that. What I found interesting with Powers is that he doesn't Waste language. Mm. I mean, so many of the books. I wasn't that, talking that about a waste read, of language. I was talking about, talking about uh, far, it was far too descriptive of the action. And I just, I wanted, see, I just wanted to get to the get to the point because I, I need to finish this book. <laughs> You're yeah, wasting no, that, my but, time. But what I'm saying is, is that I, I didn't actually see it like that at all. Like, when I say a waste of language, if you're just describing stuff and not getting to the point, to me, that is a waste of language. But I actually found him to be quite economic in a mm. style more akin to some of the earlier books that we've read. Yeah. Um, as opposed to some of the later writers that I've read who really do just waste time waffling so that their book will be, you know, six or 700 pages long for no reason. Okay, well, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying it was a waste of language. Yeah. What I'm saying is, I mean... The way it was written was perfectly fine if you enjoyed long descriptions of action, action-y action. I'm not an action fan and I just wanted to get the book finished. Right. That's my point. Ratings then. Like I said, love it. One of my favourite books ever. Uh, I give it four looks. Luke, how many looks do you give it, Luke? I give this four and a half. Four and a half looks. (laughs) Thank you, Luke. (laughs) Um, No, I absolutely love this too and I've loved it um, ever since I was, as I said, 18 years old. Crystal. 
I don't think it's fair to rate it given that I didn't have time to sit down and read it properly. I have a quality read. Having said that, uh, I never want to read it ever again. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> mainly because of the circumstances surrounding the reasons why I didn't have time to read it. Mm. Probably, yeah, maybe maybe a few years down the track I might pick it up and yeah, on a sunny beach somewhere and, and relax <laughs> and read it properly. Fair enough. Well, I really enjoyed this, and like uh, Dave, I absolutely love time travel stories, and this was a very good one. It's not a perfect book, uh, but still a really, really entertaining read. Really thoroughly enjoyable book, and I'll give it three and a half. Okay, so The Anubis Gates by Tim Powers. Check it out. Link to buy it on Amazon will be on the site. Uh, Next up, we've got Waiting for Trade. Okay, Waiting for Trade is the segment where we cover uh, trade paperbacks or uh, individual issues or basically whatever ever comic we want to talk about. Uh, it can be new, it can be old, it can be whole runs, I don't care, I'm, I'm interested, of our beloved comics. Uh, up first we have Richo with The Killer Omnibus Volume 1. Oh, I can't resist our beloved comics. Your beloved comics. <laughs> because you guys are married... Are Dave's beloved comics becoming all beloved comics as well? Mm, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, The Killer. <laughs> the Killer is published by Arkaya, who listeners will remember I mentioned a bit uh, last year. They've really specialised in publishing foreign works, especially French works, into English, and um, I first came across them reading about a book called The Secret History, which I really liked, and they started sending me, after I bought that book from their website, they started sending me a newsletter, and reading over the newsletter, I read about a book called The Killer, which is written by Matz, as in M-A-T-Z, and illustrated by uh, Luc Jacquemon. Yeah, I really kind of just bought it on a whim. It, it sounded kind of interesting, and I thought, yeah, let's give it a shot. I saw some preview pages, and uh, the artwork looked really nice. And, um, yeah, I must admit, I was very pleasantly surprised by this book. It's the story of a professional hitman um, who's never actually really named in the book, which I think is one of the, the early interesting things about the book. You, you really get into the character's head. You learn a lot about him and how he thinks, but you never actually learn his name. It starts as a slow read. It starts with him in a hotel room waiting for a hit to happen. And he's just waiting there. Like, it's 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 not really an action-y action type of opening, which you might expect from a book of this nature. And when I was first reading it, I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of exposition here about the character's past and things like that. And while he's just sitting in this room waiting and... Um, you know, he's, he's talking about what he does and why he does it. And um, and at first I began to think, well, this is probably too much exposition. Until I realised as I was reading that it wasn't necessarily the character telling me what he did and why. But it's actually about him trying to justify it in his own mind. Because he's actually cracking up. Very slowly, very surely, he is losing his mind. And he doesn't necessarily even realise it's happening. And once I, I realised that, and once I came to that that understanding of what what um, Matts was actually doing with this story, it became absolutely fascinating for me, because it's it's less about him just going out and killing people, and like I said, it's not an action comic, but it's more about the psychology 
of a hitman and, and what they go through and what the job actually entails. Really quite a fascinating character study in that regard. The great thing about this volume one, this omnibus, is that Akai has actually collected uh, multiple graphic novels, which was the way it was originally published in the standard French format, has actually put multiple graphic novels together in this book. And so it's quite a hefty read as well. I will give this four looks. Cool. You've got a bit of a fan of this, uh, how you pronounce it, Akaya? Akaya, Akaya. Um, yeah. Akaya and Humanoids being the other one are publishing a lot of work that in English that I just would never have had access to. Yeah, so because they're, they're, they're yeah. European companies. Yeah, exactly. And um, and cool. the great thing is it's a very different style of storytelling to what you get in the um, in the American comics. Yep. And so it's nice to just be able to sort of open yourself up to a different style of storytelling. Yeah, I haven't read the whole omnibus. I have read the first couple of issues, and uh, I had pretty much the exact same thought you had. I was like, "This is a lot of text. Yeah, this is a massive info dump. What's if, if I dump? What's going on here?" But uh, yeah, like well, as I got into it, I was yeah. Like, this when is, when you realize this is pretty cool, there's almost like a moment of of, of revelation in the book yeah. where you're like, "Hang on a second, <clears throat> this is what's actually happening." Yeah, it's pretty groovy. Okay, uh, thanks, Richard. Uh, moving on to Luke with Witch Doctor Volume 2. Okay, um, Witch Doctor Volume 2 Malpractice is the second uh, miniseries following on from uh, Witch Doctor Volume 1, which, you know, makes, kind of makes sense. You must be some kind of mathematician. <laughs> mathematician. Witch Doctor, uh, the Witch Doctor series focuses on Dr. Vincent Morrow and his team, and... Vincent Morrow is an exorcist with a difference. Unlike um, many exorcists who, you know, perform with the sturm and dung and, you know, power of Christ compelly and holy water, he is an actual medical practitioner. So everything he, do- everything he does has a, a scientific or a medical basis and he tries to catalogue and diagnose each exorcism as a different type of treatment or illness. Mm. Which is all fine, except that Vincent Morrow is a bit of a nutcase. Um, a wonderful <laughs> do you, do you think he's a nutcase? I think he's uh, he's certainly a bit crazy. He's a, he's a wonderful <laughs> he's nutcase, don't get me wrong. Eccentric um, might be the eccentric, word. <laughs> uh, I think in this volume, though, he goes, he goes beyond eccentric. Um, in the first volume, introduced um, Morrow and his team um, and the world and uh, fighting a, a Cthulhu-inspired monster possessing this um, little girl. And this volume, written by Brandon Seifert and um, illustrated by Lucas Kettner sees Morrow actually having been cursed, his body breaking down on him, and him try him having to um, work out who's who work out who's cursed him and doing whatever he can to reverse the effects of the um, to reverse the effects of the curse. What I'm not which is a sort of a very dry but what I'm not sort of coming across there is the um, the very dark, very um, morbid sense of humour that comes through in the book. It's um, for for, a, for a, a horror book it is actually very, very funny. Morrow's little exchanges with his assistant ultimately result in some little snide comment or some an almost Groucho Marx-esque um, moment between Vincent Morrow and the rest of the world. But the the big joy of this volume is um, the introduction of Katrina Macabre, who yeah. is introduced as both simultaneously Vincent Morrow's love interest and his arch nemesis. This volume has a slightly more of a Stephen King, Clive Barker-esque feel, with um, uh, some of the monsters this time looking a little bit more like um, Pinhead from The Hellraiser with um, a Carney freak show, so a little bit of Stephen King bit that, of it there. That's the surgeons, isn't it? That's the surgeons. Man, the surgeons that is a one. creepy, creepy moment. <laughs> and see, I'm trying very hard not to actually talk specifically about the plot because mm. 
or what happened because to do that would take away from the joy of reading it. Like I said, it's yeah. very, very funny. Hmm. Um, and uh, talking about it too much would actually take or detract a bit from um, the immediacy of the humour. This isn't as strong as Volume 1. I don't think it's as funny as Strong 1, I, but it is a, it is still a very, very good story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see Vincent Morrow having a few issues, let me say, with just about everyone beside him. <laughs> the big drawback is actually um, not using Penny Dreadful, one of his assistants who um, talks to this demon that's possessing her, or mm. the many demons that are possessing her, as much as she does in the first one. Because the little asides that she has in the first volume with the demons are actually also a wonder... Are quite a joy to read, and mm. because they're not present as much in this one, the series sort of lacks a little bit more of the fun element. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like I said, it's um, very well written by Brandon Seifert. It is wonderfully drawn by Lucas Kettner, and it's nice to see a comic book artist at the moment who understands that decompression is not what the status quo should be. Each page is jam-packed with, not just jam-packed with panels, but the panels are actually telling the story. Mm. So it feels like there's actually a lot more going on, which is good. One of the jokes around our household is, well, for my, was my, you know, the Lucha is waiting for Volume 2 to come out. Mm. Um, he was very, very excited. I was very, very excited. <laughs> and there were months between Volume 1 and the release of Volume 2 where I was going, where's Volume 2? And now it's, where's Volume 3? So, <laughs> Siphon, get in a hurry the hell up <laughs> and get Volume 3 out because, you know, I for one will be buying that on the day it comes out. Four looks. Four looks. Cool. That is, it is beautiful. Yes, it is an awesome, is, is, is awesome good, book. And I agree here. I don't think it's as strong as one. But still, it's even, even though it's not as strong as one, it's still better than quite a lot of output it's, these yeah, days. So. That's, that's just comparison. To, yeah. if I, it, to, as, as a story, it's, it's a very good book and well worth, the, um, well worth the time it takes to read. Yeah. Awesome. And it does look pink that we're going to get see a lot more Penny. Yeah. Through. Well, yeah, it does end on the cliffhanger. So hurry up and get that done. <laughs> Awesome, thank you, Luke. Next up is Crystal with Star Trek Death Before Dishonor. Now, I have to apologise for being woefully unprepared for this segment. I've only read the first three pages of this. <laughs> I'm busy trying to read it this morning. Once again, um, I was time poor this last few weeks. This is written by my all-time favourite Star Trek author, Peter David. But just judging by the first... Three pages. The dialogue is kind of corny, and uh, the images aren't all that great. I mean, uh, this guy here looks like Decker, but he's green. (laughs) 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 And uh, uh, and, and in spirit of keeping the review shorter than the actual comic, that's pretty much all I've got to say about it. I apologise for not having read the rest of it. I will get to it. Um, David might like to jump in because he actually has read it. If, you, if you've got any thoughts on it. Um, is it worth me continuing? Should I uh, spend my valuable time on this comic? No, I wouldn't waste your time. Um, <laughs> as, as someone who uh, values her time and is never going to read any of his games again, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wouldn't waste your time. As, as the title suggested, it does involve the Klingons. Um, so it does have, for me, a, a really cool nostalgia factor in that it has... Uh, it sort of re- it recreates the scene from Star Trek Three with the with the the the, Klino- the Klinos that are chasing after him and uh, Captain Karg or whatever his name is and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Christopher Lloyd, um, yeah, Christopher Lloyd and stuff. Klingon uh, bastard, it's out, uh, yeah. killed my son. And it also it also does sort of allude to <laughs> a little bit more to Five, where you have that Klingon captain with the female 
um, a te- uh, assistant and stuff, like a female clinical assistant and stuff. So that's all pretty cool in terms of nostalgia, but, I mean, you're totally right. The dialogue is very clunky and it's definitely not Peter David's best. Um, and I agree, he's actually, he's a very good Star Trek author. Um, I really enjoy his New Frontier series with uh, Mackenzie Calhoun and, and Elizabeth Shelby. Mm, mm. And uh, and comic readers will be um, very familiar with Peter David's work. And, uh, and yeah, and the artwork, I, I think, is woeful. <laughs> it's really, really bad um, and just not up there's, to professional standards. I'm flipping through it, there's this really muscly Chekhov in there and it actually action stands it. That's just not Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's not, it's not disgraceful, it's not the worst comic I've ever read, but uh, it's, it's uh, definitely the least out of the four that we're going to review today. It does have a very nice picture of Spock on the cover. It does have a photo picture of Lennon Elias Doc, which is pretty cool. But uh, thanks for making the effort. I mean, th- three pages, you're not really a comic book person, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that, that's part of uh, David's ongoing effort to get me into comics, to get me a comic that is uh, Star Trek related, which he knows I love all things Star Trek. So mm. he, he's trying. His efforts are you know, brilliant. Yeah. He, he might want to consider getting you a, a good, good Star Trek comic. <laughs> well, I didn't know since it that appears not to be good. <laughs> he did read it after he got it. I didn't read it for first and then buy it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, is yes. ANF Library, dude, are you going to buy that or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I barely bought it because Spock was on the cover. That's really all I like. Anyway, well, thank you, Crystal. Next up, we have myself with the Mighty Titan number one. Um, now, it's actually a it's a single issue. It's not a trade. It's actually a digital comic. So, number one, that comes before number two. Yes, Luke. One <laughs> comes before two. <laughs> um, so, no, I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't mistaken. I was just making it clear for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm reviewing this is because uh, I actually follow the creator, the, the writer, Joe Martino, on Twitter, and he has a very strong Twitter uh, presence, and I was intrigued by his project. It's actually the the Mighty Titan is actually a Kickstarter-funded comic, um, and I was intrigued because of the premise behind it, which I'll get to in a second, and because it was Kickstarter. Now, when I first heard about the Kickstarter program, I was kind of dubious. I thought it was a bit, a bit of a money-making sort of sort of scheme. That's um, the point. Yeah. No, what, <laughs> what I mean, in a, I mean, not mean money-making in a good way, but the word scheme uh, sort of okay. throws a negative connotation to it. And I saw, yeah, I basically thought it was a bit dodgy. But this is this is actually the project, uh, this and uh, a couple of others, is what sort of turned me around. Um, I think The Mighty Titan is perfect for Kickstarter. Uh, as the uh, the title would suggest, um, Titan is, is a Superman sort of uh, type character, archetype. Uh, he has incredible power and vulnerability um, and that sort of stuff. And he's a hero, so he helps helps people and, you know, weaker than himself and stuff like that. Um, so, but despite his uh, inability to get harmed while he's in his Titan form, uh, he's actually, he transforms into uh, another person. Um, so it's a person who, it's, basically, it's, it's very much Shazam sort of deal. So it's a, a weak human who transforms into the mighty Titan. Um, so, so even though Titan is invulnerable and cannot be hurt, uh, his human alter ego is is uh, more than human and is actually currently suffering from cancer. But automatically, that struck me as interesting. It's like that's uh, I can't think of. I mean, I've I'm, I've read quite a few comics. I can't think of a single uh, comic other than Captain Marvel that has dealt with that sort of stuff. So the death of Captain Marvel would probably be the benchmark. Um, but since then, I can't think of any, anything else. So I think I find that quite fascinating that. Um, the the normal standard human is dying essentially and but he can transform into you know this godlike being which is uh and and still 
still do things. But because the the alter ego is dying, it still affects him while he's in Titan form with these uh, really powerful headaches. Now, the reason Joe Martino is gone with this storyline is because he himself uh, is a twice cancer survivor. Uh, he's actually fought off uh, kidney cancer, I believe, uh, twice, which is damn impressive. Uh, that is just amazing. Um, I've seen a, a photo of Joe, and uh, I've got to tell you, he doesn't look like a cancer survivor. He looks uh, really healthy, and, and uh, it just amazes me that he's, he's done it twice. So he, de- he decided to create the Mighty Titan and write these comics. He's, he's written other comics as well, um, but he decided to go on to t- Titan in order to sort of tell his story and sort of help others. So he's basically he's taken... It's not, it's not autobiographical, um, obviously, because he can't transform into a superhuman being. That you um, know of. That I know of, exactly. Uh, but uh, he has basically sort of taken his experiences and sort of experiences of other people, other survivors that he's talked to and sort of distilled it down to make a superhero comic. I mean, it is still a superhero comic. I mean, you've got a dude, a powerful dude who beats... I mean, the very first issue, he, he beats up a, a killer robot. I mean, you can't get more superhero than that. He was trying to... You know, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's got all sort of the superhero tropes, but with this um, you know, fascinating sort of premise behind it. Uh, so like I said, this is Kickstarter-funded. Uh, now, I did, actually didn't know about this project uh, from issue one. I didn't know it existed until he uh, did kick, uh, issue two, which is also Kickstarter-funded. So the whole, money, it's the whole mini-series, which I, I believe is five or six issues, will be Kickstarter-funded as well. Issue one raised over $12,000 in 40 days. Um, with 378 backers. Now, that's pretty impressive. But issue two, though, reached its goal within 30 hours. So people have obviously, I mean, got, got cotton onto this book and uh, realised the quality and, and uh, have really backed him. Um, so because it, it was uh, reached, the goal was reached so, so quickly, he was able to do what's called stretch goals. So anybody who's familiar with Kickstarter knows that after you've reached your limit, you can then add extra sort of incentives. It's like, okay, we've reached this, you know, X amount. If we reach X, you know, another X, X amount, then we can add some extra stuff. And uh, one of the features for issue two is a Brian Hitch cover. So back to issue one, what drew me uh, straight away was the absolutely awesome Jerry Ordway cover, which I'm just about to show show the crew. Ordway is the man. He is the man. Uh, He doesn't do the interior art, which is a shame, but... Still awesome. It's one of the, the things for backing issue one was to win the original art for the cover, which would have been awesome, but I didn't know about it at the time, I'm afraid. Um, I was going to say something about the white David Bowie-like tights, but... <laughs> <laughs> Bowie's in Spain. Um, the, the, the interior art's actually done by uh, someone else. Uh, his last name's Chitty. And it's passable. It's serviceable. It's not. It's not the greatest. I mean, it's definitely. It's pretty impressive considering it's a sort of a, it's an indie book, um, self-funded stuff like that. I mean, it's it does what it has to do. And the story itself is, like I said, it's a superhero story. He fights a, a a robot, and you know you, you meet his arch nemesis and all sort of stuff. I mean, there's there's little clues throughout the issue of uh, what's actually happening, and then it's not until the end that you see that something is seriously wrong. You mean he Titan. He's rescuing a cat of all things, which is awesome. Um, and then, uh, you know, he gets a headache and he, he's in so much pain that he transforms into his, his human alter ego. Um, now, I'm not giving anything away there. I mean, it's, it's, it's the Kickstarter page says that it's all about you know, the fight against cancer and stuff like that. Um, and it's actually, it's not even mentioned in the first issue that he actually has cancer. I haven't read uh, issue two. Uh, which I believe is already out or is it's about about to out yet. I haven't read issue two yet. And honesty alert, I didn't actually fund uh, issue two, even though I knew about it, uh, mainly because of my still my sort of sort of anti Kickstarter trepidation. But 
uh, after reading uh, issue one and learning a bit more about uh, Joe and his and his cause, I am one hundred percent behind this. So as soon as he announces issue three, um, I will be backing. Um, and if he's got in issue two, he had this cool thing where he could be uh, drawn into the comic as one of the victims <laughs> of this <laughs> rampage of monster um, for for a certain donation. If he does that again for issue three, I'm on there. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, so the Mighty Titan, um, it's it's well worth your effort. Really, I mean, really get on it. I mean, I, I applaud I applaud Joe for uh, putting the message out there and just for opening opening up about you know himself and his own his own plight and. Uh, you know, twice he's kicked it. I mean, if it ever happens again, uh, it'll be horrible, but I have no doubt in my mind that he'll do it again because he just, he's already done it twice and uh, now it's like, he's no fear. I mean, he'll take it on. Um, so, uh, well done. And, uh, and if uh, if you want to check out his Kickstarter projects, like I said, number two's already done, uh, but he will get to number three. So you can follow Joe on Twitter at JGM Comics um, and his Facebook page is facebook.com, The Mighty Titan. And if you check out uh, kickstarter.com, you can look up the Mighty Titan and, and uh, follow it from there. Okay, so that's Waiting for Trade. Coming up next, coming soon. Coming soon is where we cover the films that are coming to Australian cinemas in the, next, in the two weeks between uh, each podcast. In Australian cinemas, September 5th, we get White House Down. No chance in hell am I seeing that rubbish. <laughs> White House Down. Two thumbs down. It's a, I love how there's this, this Hollywood thing that if one one studio releases something, another studio is going to try and copy it. It's ridiculous. So it's, and this one has Channing Tatum and uh, Jamie Foxx. Two reasons for me not to want to see the film. <laughs> I don't like Channing Tatum. I think he's funny. But yeah, you're right. I'm not going to watch it. No. <laughs> I mean, it's, but yeah, it, compared to Olympus, Olympus Has Fallen, it's just there's too many. How many do you need? Uh, on September 5th, we're also getting Paranoia, uh, which is um, Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Not very yeah. interesting. But uh, it's got Harrison Ford. That's pretty cool. And Gary Oldman. And Gary Oldman. Yep. And uh, Blue Jasmine, which is Woody Allen's next film. Hmm. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't care in the slightest. No one's The following week, on September 12th, we get R.I.P.D. Yet another comic made to, made in the movies. You can't say I'm all that interested in this one, either. Yeah, police police force that police the dead and, and undead and stuff like that. It could be so, okay. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm interested. Uh, we also get Small Apartments. Uh, we also get the Smurfs 2, avoid, and Riddick, believe it or not. Yeah. Another a, Riddick film. Didn't saw a preview for this one uh, last night while watching Elysium, and it uh, looks like they've gone, yeah, let's forget all of that, you know, messianic stuff we did in the second film and just remake Pitch Black. Oh, <laughs> just, made, just remake Pitch Black? Yeah. <laughs> <The> Starbucks. <laughs> it's hilarious. It, it seems to me that they just have no idea where this franchise is going and they're just making it up as they go along. Okay, so last episode, our uh, lovely Aliens episode, we had a giveaway. Um, so all you had to do was tell us who you wanted to see go up against the Xenomorphs, or who you thought it would be funny to go see go up against the Xenomorphs, whatever. Xenomorphs versus the Smurfs, that'd be pretty cool. For your chance to win the an- the Alien Anthology Blu-ray box set, which has the, fir- the first four films in it. It's pretty cool. A fair if I would be Xenomorphs versus Gargamel. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> no, Azrael. That cat's vicious. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so, as normal, we've put the entries into the NCP competition hat. And the winner is... David Adams. Greatest name in the world. David Adams. 
<laughs> also, thanks, David. Uh, David's suggestion was, let me just look at my list, the Klinons. So, Klinons versus the Xenomorphs. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be a good day to die. For the Xenomorphs. <laughs> oh, the Klinons would kick some butt. Klinons kick ass. That's what I'm saying. The, the, yeah. the, the day would be a good day for the Xenomorphs to yeah. die. Oh, very, yeah, very good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, congratulations, David. Uh, if you could just send me a postal address... Doesn't have to be your, your home address, it could be any address you want, I don't care, just send me a postal address and those Alien Anthology Blu-rays are yours! So, uh, this is actually a, a bit of a fun competition for me, we, we had got some great responses. Now I'll just go through uh, some of the other responses we got, it was pretty cool. We got, uh, in keeping with the Star Trek theme, we got the, the Federation. Um, I don't know, I think the Federation get their asses handed to them. <laughs> Usually there's only a few Xenomorphs, isn't there? Like the, the whole Federation against the Xenomorphs? Yeah, but so, well, so, I, I guess it means like an army. They can beat the Borg. Yeah, only just. <laughs> Marcy uh, suggested the Expendables, <laughs> which is pretty cool. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd see that movie. Young Ben suggested uh, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, and then I suggested uh, as well as the Raptors, so that'd be pretty cool. T-Rex and Raptors versus Xenomorphs. Xenomorphs with Raptor DNA, uh, that, that could be bad. That would be bad. And uh, a couple of other suggestions were the Spartans from 300. <laughs> <laughs> not um, 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 Kirk Douglas. No, no. That's Spartacus. No, for the Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. <laughs> I yeah. am Spartacus. No, they're the Spartans, not Spartacus. <laughs> Spartacus. You're being silly now. <laughs> um, and uh, one awesome suggestion was Wolverine. Yeah. Adamantium wins the day, I think. Yeah, well, he basically just healed from the acid and then just cut him to ribbons. Why is that not being done? What if the Xenomorphs get some adamantium? Oh, well, that's that's a whole new story. You should write it. (laughs) You should write that story. (laughs) Anyway, congratulations, David. Uh, Like I said, send us in the address and the Blu-rays are yours. And thanks to everybody else for entering. Yay! Okay, so just to wrap up, don't forget you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Or you can post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash Or you can tweet us at nerdculturecast. Or you can post a comment on any of our posts at our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com And don't forget you can also rate and review us on the iTunes. And more importantly, don't forget our Amazon affiliate program. There's a little widget on the website. If you want to buy anything through Amazon, do it through our website. We get a slice of the action. Um, we're actually currently at $1.50, thanks to somebody buying comics. That's right. awesome. I saw somebody bought a cool backpack, too. I know. Sweet. All oh, right, nice. So, um, yeah, so we do get to see what it is that you're buying, um, uh, but we don't get to see who it is that's buying it. So, yeah, so but, don't buy uh, porn. But we, yeah. What? <laughs> Can you buy porn on Amazon? I don't know. I don't think yeah. really looks. Shades of Grey will be there. Well, that's it. Fifty Shades are great. Don't be ashamed to buy that. It's fine. Everybody's buying it. Um, no, so... no, be ashamed to buy that. <laughs> no, we want your slice of the action. Um, yeah, so it's not... <laughs> so no, it's money down. <laughs> no, I'm not saying don't buy it. Don't buy it. Just don't buy Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, it's, uh, so thank you very much to, to everybody who's using that. And uh, it doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, but it really means a lot to us that, you, that you've gone to the effort to do that. So, um, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, thanks. From us to you. <laughs> Give us money now. <laughs> <laughs> New fifty-two bubble. <laughs> we want money. Cash, cash, cash. <laughs> 
if you if you use our Amazon affiliate, we'll throw a Wolverine into every issue. That'll get sales up. <laughs> That's it, exactly right. We Not a just, real one. Though. We should just mention Wolverine every time. That's right. I have Wolverine. <laughs> Wolverine says, use our website. Every episode, Luke will go and Batman and Batman. <laughs> Awesome. No, I'm more likely to do the, um, the super cafe goes, because I'm Batman. <laughs> That's it for episode 58. Goodbye from me and goodbye from the crew. Richard. Yes. Goodbye to each and every one. And Luke. Because I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you just sounded really angry. <laughs> Batman is a very angry person. Very angry Batman one. doesn't like chocolate. <laughs> and Crystal. I don't like chocolate either. Well, I do. I just can't have it. So maybe I'm Batman. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You know, according to the films, we're all Batman. Yeah. Deep down. Bye. Bye. Bye now. You'll come back now here.